Hello, I'm Kurt Whitesell, and I want to welcome you to the coolest and most informative podcast in the Westfield, Indiana area. What's up, Westfield? What's up, Westfield is a local chat fest to dig deep into politics, development, and who's doing what and anything else we can fit into 45 minutes of fun online. If you have topics or interests in being an amazing guest, please reach out to us, and we'd love to hear your ideas. I first met my guest today when I sent a general inquiry to my school board representative, and it made it up to the top, receiving a meeting invite from my guest to meet in person. I spent nearly an hour with these busy guys learning more about what they're up against and how we as a community can be a part of the solution between schools and a city. One thing I always take away is that these are caring, hardworking people also with a lot of responsibility. And today we'll get a chance to hear a little bit more about what goes into leaving a school. This should be a fun one, gang. Please welcome Mr. Brian Tomo-Michael to the podcast. Hi, Brian. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. Um, I was just asked this morning who my next guest is going to be. And they said, make it someone really funny and entertaining. So no pressure. I apologize already. <laughs> Should we just stop now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's the because I'm not funny and entertained. They want someone a little better. So good luck. I mean, yeah, you should take that a little personal. I, mean. <laughs> I did. I, I'm going to change the name of it so they can't track it anymore. So, um, well, thanks for being here. Uh, it is a very timely podcast to me because you're doing a lot of work. The, the elections are going on. You have a referendum coming through. Um, we're in the middle of a, a school year, and so I think it's cool that you've taken some time to talk and maybe share a little bit more what we don't normally hear. So um, if you want to start and kind of tell us who you are, what you do, um, and a little bit about yourself, personal. Yeah, so Brian Hall Michael, I'm the Assistant Superintendent for Business and Operations at Westwood Washington Schools. Um, fancy way to say all the stuff other people don't want to do. Um, so oversee um, Dr. Monolone and Operations, uh, Dan Britta and Technology, and then all of our business office staff. So I think the easiest way you should describe it to people is if something in the school district has something to do with money or business, then I am somehow involved in the conversation somewhere. Um, so that's you know kind of the work side, um, personal side. I married, three kids, dog, lived in Westfield for about a month now, which I like to say I finally get to sleep where I live. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's been nice. Um, you know, when when COVID happened, I actually um, we lived we did live in HSC school district. HSC went fully virtual that year, um, so we we actually brought our kids to Westfield at that point. So back about 2020. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. Yep. And, um, you know, my, my, I always like to say my success story for uh, Westwood Washington schools is we told our kids it was going to be one year and then you're going back to your home school. And after that year ended, we we're like, what do you guys want to do? And they're like, we don't want to leave. Awesome. So since then, awesome. my kids, that is good. Yeah. My kids have come to Westfield for the last three years. And then mm-hmm. that was finally the catalyst to move the entire family out here this year. So, you know, so happy Westfield resident and excited mm-hmm. to continue to get more involved in other things outside of the school some too. So you said the HSC went fully virtual and Westfield was not, a, was it because it was that second year? Yeah, yeah. So that first, like, um, what was it, March to June, pretty much everybody was virtual at that point. Yeah. But coming back that second year, um, Westfield in the beginning, I think a lot of people tried to forgot about this time, but we were uh, hybrid at the time. So, yeah. and then also being an employee here, it allowed we try to be flexible with our employees and having children in the district and knowing you still had to work and how we were helping manage childcare at that point. So it was a lot easier for us to bring our kids out here at that time um, because the start of that same school year, which I think would have been the 2020, 21 school year, maybe um, HSC did go fully virtual. So, so yeah, we started so here at that time. We were ahead of our, I think Carmel might've been about the same as us. Yeah. Carmel was similar to us. I think, um, Nobles did a little bit of back and forth, but I think they ended up being more like us as well. Okay. So did you, how long had you been in your position when COVID started? So at Westfield, I started August of 2017. Okay. So I had been there about two and a half years or so at that point, almost three years. And when you um, went to school administ- or administration college, did they teach you about a pandemic and how to deal with it? 
no, no, we did not study the hundred year flu or anything like that. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> um, so I like to joke, actually, my uh, my background, I have a accounting finance degree, a minor in economics and an MBA. So I am kind of your non-traditional school administrator. My background is truly business. Uh-huh. So a lot of times I will look at things a little differently than a lot of your other school administrators, just because my, my brain functions a little differently. Yeah, but I think that's an important, and we'll get into this kind of, it's, that's an important mix from, for the schools. They've got a superintendent who is very out there and public, and they're almost a salesperson. And then to have this, you know, the next person, the, the CFO type, that's very you know, business and structured and understands the implication of the finance side. It's a good blend, probably, isn't? Wouldn't you say to have that background? Yeah, no, it, it works well. I mean, you know, uh, Dr. Kaiser and I have worked together even before coming here, and we have a very good relationship. But you know, we don't always see eye to eye, and that yeah. creates great conversation and, and yeah. great problem solving when you don't see eye to eye with everybody that's sitting in the room, um, and to work through those issues, and then you know, behind a closed door, have that conversation, <laughs> figure out where you need to land at. Yep. Then be yeah. on the same path when you leave that room and, and work together to get things accomplished. And it, it's, yeah. it's a good a good mix in our office yeah. of viewpoints when we have conversations. So where do you go to school for your secondary education? Yeah, so I went to uh, IUPUI, so I have an IU Kelly degree. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I did my MBA at UND. Oh, okay, cool. And when did you graduate with your MBA? 2018, I think. Okay, so. cool. All right. Um, what was your first job in education? Because I think you worked at another school system, correct? Yeah. So I always joke the way I got into education is during college, my father-in-law at the time was a maintenance employee for Beach Grove City Schools, which is where okay. I went to high school at. Uh-huh. Um, so in college, they used to hire summer help to cut grass, clean bathrooms, do uh-huh. whatever needed to be done. So I first started working in schools from the cleaning side. I was a custodian, <laughs> um, did some maintenance work, did grounds work during college. And then once college was done, I worked at Steak and Shake's uh, corporate accounting and accounts payable department for about a year All right. uh, downtown. And then at that time, um, my old kind of the assistant superintendent for Beach Grove reached out to me. He was like, hey, my corporation's treasurer is retiring. Do you want to do that? And I was like, what the heck she do? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> So we talked about it and that was kind of, and that was 2011. So that was the first time really it was like, oh, so you're telling me schools have a business department. Mm-hmm. All right. So <laughs> got into thunk, school, right? yeah, got into school business that way. And um, okay. you know, I spent about four years at Beach Grove as their corporation treasurer and then assistant business manager in charge of operations for a while. And then spent about um, four years at Mount Vernon in Hancock County, Mount Vernon Community Schools. Oh, okay. I didn't realize uh, that. Our CFO. And then from yeah. there I came here. So when you were getting your MBA, did is this one of the career paths that you were considering or did you, were you not really, did you not know at that point? Yeah. So once I got my MBA, I was pretty entrenched in schools at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, we are definitely a niche um, mm-hmm. role when it comes to things. Um, when I was getting my accounting and finance degree, I had no idea that this yeah. is where I was up at. That was not, not the goal at all at that time. Um, mm-hmm. I joke. So I was a kid who started college and changed my majors multiple times. So I was actually... <laughs> I was a uh, direct admit into Purdue's engineering program. I wanted to design, um, like, I was a biomedical engineering student for about oh my gosh. a year. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I liked math, so I didn't like that anymore. I joked, like, I'm an introvert, but I'm not that introverted. <laughs> um, so I, I ended up going into actuarial science for about a year as well and took, you know, I joke, I took all the way through Calc 3, like, and did fine in math. That was not my problem. Uh-huh. Um, like computer programming and then kind of set back and had to have that life moment of my mom and dad luckily paid for my college and they were like you got four years you need to figure it out yeah uh, so ended up sitting back and when I was a kid I always used to just kind of play in the stock market with my dad and you know I had mm-hmm. I mean, for us like you know just a couple hundred dollars that he would let us just kind of decide where we wanted to put and yep. learn how stocks work and all that and I enjoyed that as a kid so that's where I then decided just to accounting and finance and you know, I like. To say, I think it was my last two years of college. I basically did a full four years of college because did I took you? all summer classes, all winter classes, uh-huh. um, to cram in to make sure I could get out in four years. Yeah. Well, when you said it reminded me when you said you were the guy that changed your major uh, a bunch of times. I was 
my college education um, is they they made me change my major a couple of times because I was so far behind. But um, so I guess I can relate. We got that in common, Brian. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So you're at Beach Grove or you were at um, Hancock County yep. before Westfield, correct? Correct. Yep. When you started, uh, what turned you on to Westfield? How did that start come about? What, what And what was cool about Westfield to get you to actually switch? That's a big deal. Yeah. So actually, so kind of backing up to Mount Vernon. So Mount Vernon, when I first started there, I was 26 years old. So, you know, that was an interesting learning experience for me because there were farmers who I were, were, was meeting with and they would walk in and they're like, hey, we're here to meet the CFO. And I'm like, hey, yeah. like, so where is he? And I was like, <laughs> I'm him. Um, you know, they're looking at me like my tractor's older than you. Why are you yeah. standing here? Um, so, you know, it was a quick learning experience of just, you know, how to communicate with people, how to have those conversations, how to, you know, uh -huh. just sit down and relate to people. Um, which through that and that growth experience and everything, just, you know, you, you get to a point where it's, you start looking, what, what's your next step, you know, mm -hmm. and, and school systems is usually going to a little bit bigger of a school district. Um, okay. So actually it was a, I remember being at a conference, I think in about 2016 and, you know, um, a, a vendor we have in common came up to me and they're like, Hey, um, Westfield's <clears throat> going to be opening soon. I really think you should think about applying. Have you met their superintendent yet? Um, so that that's kind of where the whole conversation started okay. at that time of, you know, it was a vendor who had good relationships on both sides that we happen to know that made the connection. And then at that uh -huh. point, it was interviewing and applying and learning about Westfield. I am a big proponent of if you're going to sit in this type position, you know, half of my job is what I do every day and the work side. Half mm -hmm. of it is I truly believe like it's your responsibility to get immersed in the community you're in. Yeah. Um, from a school district side or a city side or any of those sides, um, you know, a large part of what we do, we are, we are a pillar of a community. So mm -hmm. you need to be a part of that community. It's probably easy to just kind of stay in your, in your lane and not really get involved in things and not pay attention to the outside world, isn't it? Because you, you, I know you've got a lot of noise coming at you. So it's probably, yeah. it takes extra work to engage or re-engage probably, I would imagine. It does. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people could think we just sit in our office all day. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of, I always joke it, you know, whether school, city, county, township, it, it's one sandbox and we all got to play nice in the sandbox. Yeah. Um, you know, the nicer we play together, the more we can get done versus if we're kicking sand in each other's faces, nobody's happy. Um, so, so what is a typical day for you at, uh, at a, in your job? Yeah, so I mean, I think today's a pretty good example. Uh, today started off at um, having a check presentation for the Barker Cabin because we are awesome. We gave yes. a contribution to that to help make sure that could get over the finish line and make sure that our kids can utilize that space and have Westfield centered field trips. Mm -hmm. Thank um, you. That is an awesome project. So I'm glad is. you guys did that. And we got we got to go inside and talk to Diane and everybody today. And uh -huh. Just a great group, and they're doing great things. So did you did you get a sense that Diane may be living in it right now because she's there so much? <laughs> so she told me there's a little kid down the street that uh, asked her when she's moving in, <laughs> and she's there all the time. Yes. So well, cool. So you went inside. Yeah. So we got inside there. We did a check presentation, a couple of quick photos, um, mm -hmm. talked to them for a little bit. Um, you know, tend to. About noon was a meeting on our transportation center um, because we're having we're going through drawings and conversations right now on the expansion and remodel of that building because it's almost I think it's over 20 years old at this point. Um, you know, it was built when we probably had about 30 buses and we now have about 120 buses. Yeah, big change. Um, so yep. Big change. Um, I, I joke, you know, we have about 100 bus drivers that go through that building every day. And there are two restrooms, single stalled, and they <laughs> they're uh, basically in the in the driver meeting area. So uh, the building's very poorly designed for the size. Good example, of though. Yeah, yeah. That that one hits home. Yep. Yeah. So uh, you know, did that. Um, my my big thing, and I joke, you know, I think everybody kind of has that thing that they do every day that keeps them sane, and mine's making sure you take a lunch. Uh -huh. um, so Rand would grab lunch, and then we're having this conversation, and then. Uh -huh. After here, just because of what time it is, probably go do some early voting and then have some paperwork and sign some papers today. Um, okay. so that's today. Tomorrow starts at 8 a.m. with a public hearing on our new teacher contract. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that'll be fun. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then 
my, my wife loves it because usually on Sunday it's us sitting down and saying, so what nights are you home this week? <laughs> uh, figure out what if nights. Any. <laughs> yeah. So you do, you, many of the nights you're, you're out doing work, aren't you? Yeah. So, um, you know, school, usually there's, I would say at least one late meeting a week, whether it's a exactly. school board meeting or just a education foundation meeting, um, mm -hmm. technical part of that. Um, I, I try to go to a fair amount of either the council or the RDC meetings, especially since yep. we live here now, um, be involved and be present at those. And then um, also on student impact board, which those meetings are now at like seven in the morning, thanks to Daniel mm -hmm. yeah. House. But um, what's but your yeah. problem? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that you were on the student impact board. So we might get to that in a minute. So, all right. So you have a night a week. What, what is a, um, you know, we all have in our head that teachers work from like seven to three, right? As an admin, and we know that's not true, but as an administrator, what is your day typically like eight to five and then maybe some night stuff? Or is that, is it all over the place? Yeah, so we, we technically have the same contract hours like a teacher does. So it's a seven and a half hour contract day. So it's technically eight to four, okay. I believe is our actual like contract. Um, that being said, you know, like we just discussed, it, it's multiple yeah. late night meetings. Um, okay. You know, you can easily sit here and say, you're choosing to be a part of those other boards. But like I said, I think that's really kind of the extension of the job of like, you, yeah. you should be connected um, and be part of that community conversation when you go through those pieces. So, so you yeah. have the same type of contract as a teacher has from an, uh, an hour standpoint. Yeah, um, hour standpoint, yes. A teacher contract, I think ours is 181 days. Uh -huh. And then our contract's technically 247 days. Okay. Yeah, because you don't, you don't take summers we do not yeah. at all okay we get vacation days so we can take time off but yeah all right so do you get a chance to get in the schools at all and spend time interacting do you get to do that do you like to do that so i'll be i'm pretty terrible at doing that uh-huh with a yeah. lot of others i i do not get in as much as i should um uh -huh. dr Atha and dr hoover um who are more the curriculum side i will they are champions of that they get out yeah. and get in there um, you know, I think it's just a little bit of the difference of what we're overseeing and what we're working yep. on where we get to. So they do that really well. I'm not great at that. I'll be yeah. honest. But that's, it's probably more important for their, what they do is more student related. And Absolutely. you would just be going there to bug kids and pick on them. Right. <laughs> I, I always joke like if we have meetings to schedule, I love scheduling them in a building, but uh -huh. I so, like, I don't want to walk in a building just to be like, Hey, yeah. you know, yeah. why are you here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's most buildings I walk into. That's what it's like. So, <laughs> so what, you told us a little bit about your day and just still kind of like things. What's something fun about what you do? What, what do you have fun doing as in your job? I think, especially in West, it's just the growth. It's, it's uh -huh. something different every day. Um, you know, I could get bogged down in paperwork if I wanted, but luckily, you know, we can't around here. Um, a lot of it's, you know, we've, I think when I started, we were 7,800 kids. We're now almost 9,100 kids okay. over just the last five years. So our growth Thanks. is through the roof. Um, you know, it's for the fastest growing sitting in the state. The district is not far behind that at all. Um, mm -hmm. It's not always a direct one-to-one -one correlation, but it's pretty close. So the growth, the planning, um, you know, we're currently working on a master plan right now for the district of what, what does that look like for the next five, 10 years? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're excited to have some community conversations around that once we get towards the beginning of 2023 and yeah. kind of sit down with community and figure out what's that look like? Where's it going? But that just creates, you know, you know since I've been here, I think we've done a, a, almost $120 million in projects between the natatorium, wow. the renovations, um, early childhood, central office building. So mm -hmm. it's just fun. And then it's fun once you do it to see the kids enjoying it. Um, mm -hmm. My youngest is four years old and in the early childhood center across the way. So that, that is one building that I do get to go in a lot. Cool, um, yeah. It's also just fun working in this office. I can walk through a, a middle hallway and go pick them up and grab yeah. them and see his friends and everything. So, you know, I think everything we do is kid-based and yeah. student-based to make sure they get the best experience and. Mm -hmm you know, in the best spot. And it's just, you know, when you have a good purpose like that, everything's a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah. So I, you just, uh, I forgot you're in your new, your new office building, aren't you? When did yeah. you move into there? So kids started here at the beginning of the school year in August, and then we moved mm -hmm. in towards the end of September. Okay. And cool. The building we were in, because I often hear, what are we doing with that? We don't own that. We didn't own that building. It was uh, yeah. under a lease contract. So that has reverted back to the owners and we no longer own that property. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, I need to come see that. It's, it's a cool building over there. So, all right, well, let's get into some business here. Um, the big word that's being spun around and it always pops up every couple of years and some people think it's the devil and some people don't and most of us just don't understand it so the referendum yep. um it's probably all you talk about at this point or you feel like it's all you talk about um, <laughs> give us the uh the basic what a referendum is for those that just have no idea yeah so basic what a referendum is really backs up to when property tax caps took effect in Indiana. Um, when property tax changes, so as a homeowner, you max you pays 1% of your home value, uh, farm and rentals are 2%, commercial is 3%. Uh, when that was changed, it kind of changed the funding formulas for school across the state as well. Um, it made it to where our, our education fund, which is what funds the students, comes from the state. Um, our debt and operations funds come from the local community through taxes. And then kind of if you ever want to do anything above and beyond the basics, what the state will tell you is run a referendum. So you can run an operating referendum if you want to have smaller class sizes, if you want to have more academic opportunities for your students, um, run an operating referendum. If you want to focus on safety, there's a safety referendum. Mm -hmm. If you want to build something, then there's a capital referendum. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of three different types of referendums that you can run in the state. But really, the crux of that started where the state basically said, you know, we're going to fund the minimum of what we expect to see in education. And then mm -hmm. if you wish to go above and beyond that, then here are your opportunities to accomplish those things. And so when they were, and this was, this was a Mitch Daniels thing, right? Yes. Um, and it was, it was exciting. I'm in mean, real estate. It was exciting. Homeowners love the 1%. Realtors like it because we could finally do the math. And then, um, but was the referendum at the time when they were suggesting this and going through, was it also backed with, okay, you're gonna, here's where your problem's gonna be in the referendum is the solution? Or has that been something that's drummed up since it was so, introduced? Or do you know? I, I do think a lot of it was kind of, here's where your problem's gonna be and here's your solution. Uh -huh. um, you know, what's interesting in, in the state politics side of things is just the solution tweaks and changes a little bit of how can you ask for that solution? What's it look like as you go through uh -huh. it? But the basis of if you want more, here's a public question that people can vote on to give you more. It's kind of stayed uh -huh. the same. Okay. And um, one thing that I think when you you say that the state funds operations or whatever, or, and then the school, the our local taxes fund, whatever. Yeah. Get, really simplify that for me. I give my five million dollar house pays a certain amount of taxes every year. Yep. How does, are you able to, are you comfortable breaking that kind of down? Let's say I pay $20,000 in taxes a year and that doesn't that be perfect just so that I can kind of relate where the money travels. Absolutely. So let, let's say, I think the easy, let's just take a hundred thousand dollar house. So the uh -huh. most you can pay is a thousand dollars under state law. Mm -hmm. um, if you get a $1,500 tax bill, the most you're going to pay is a thousand dollars. So that $500 off the top, that you're not gonna pay that, that's considered circuit breaker or tax cap loss. So okay. if you ever hear any of the districts or even the city talk about circuit breaker loss or tax cap loss, that's that amount above and beyond your 1% as a homeowner. Okay. Um, but then if we just look at your thousand dollars that you did pay, because for you, that's what you're paying. Without considering any referendums, you pay a thousand dollars. Portion of that's gonna go to the school system. Portion of that's gonna go to the um, city. If you live within the city or the township, depending on where you live, um, portion is going to go to the library and then you got the county taxes and sometimes there's little nuanced ones in there that are very, very minimal. So the big thing as a homeowner is when you look at your tax bill, if you flip over to the back page of your assessment that you're going to get every year, it kind of breaks down what are those units that it's going to go to. So school, city, library, and then what percentage are they getting of that thousand dollars? Um, so if you look at that, and then it usually tracks year to year as well. So you can see how much did they get last year, how much are they getting this year? Um, and, and that's how it kind of gets broken down and divvied out to everybody. Okay. And then the state taxes collected, they yeah. distribute a different way. It, correct. So then realistically, all your sales tax you're paying, and then mm -hmm. there's others as well, is collected by the state. The state is then using those dollars in their budget, which I believe over 50% of that budget is considered education, which is higher ed, K-12, charter schools, mm -hmm. education as a whole. Those dollars are then divvied out to schools based on a dollar per kid or in 
um, ADM enrollment as, as we look at it on our end. So basically, how many kids do you have in your school? Um, the state then looks at basically two factors. One is you get a flat amount per that kid and that every school is gonna get. And then the other factor they looked at is called the complexity index. So basically what's your socioeconomic of your area? Mm -hmm. uh, for Westfield, we're extremely affluent area as a whole. So we get very, very, very minimal dollars. Um, mm -hmm. To put it in comparison, I believe Fort Wayne gets in the $3,000 extra per kid. Mm -hmm. I think we get about 105. So, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, there, there's a large gap there. And then I didn't you, realize that. In our case, you multiply that by, you know, almost 9,100 kids that adds up extremely quickly. Um, you know, even when we look at what, what's the state average that they're funding per kid at with complexity and that base amount, um, Westfield's $500 below that average that a net kid is funded for in the state. Mm -hmm. So 9,100 times 500, about $4.5 million and kind of a funding difference just from the state average. Mm -hmm. So have you ever looked at the number on if everyone got the same amount, how much Westfield would be getting per student? You ever so, done that? I have not. And, and part of it is um, I'm a big fan of don't spend time on things that will never happen. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's a pipe dream, huh? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, there's, I, I've had individuals ask me before, why don't we receive as much as IPS does? Our kids are noticeably coming up in a different area than IPS's kids are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, th there should be a difference there. You know, most of our kids know where they're going to sleep tonight and know where they're going to eat and all those things. Um, you know, and there, there can be a difference in other communities. Um, so it should be different. So I think our arguments always doesn't need to be that large of a gap um, yeah. when we have those conversations. So that, that's really a lot of the conversation we focus on also at the state level. And again, it gets back to playing nice in the sandbox when you have 300 plus school districts in Indiana is mm -hmm. what are those areas where we can all agree? So for us right now, it's really like special ed funding, funding for English as a second language funding for those students and those we all have those needs. Westfield has those needs, IPS has those needs. We can all usually jointly advocate for those type of items. So is it safe to say that like all Hamilton County schools get about the same amount of money? We're pretty close. Um, yeah. There are definitely some nuances um, mm -hmm. based on what your free and reduced count is, which Noblesville mm -hmm. is higher than us generally. Carmel and us are about the same, HSE and us are pretty yeah. close. Um, but, but it's nowhere I, near as drastic as like IPS. No, or... no. Do, um, so who manage, who is in charge of the com complexity rule or the, uh, who, who manages that? Who comes up with that? Yeah, so a state legislator does. Um, so actually it's looked at pretty much every um, biennium when they go through the budget process. So as we head into the budget process right now, actually myself and then the CFO or assistant superintendent for business from Bartholomew County, we were actually at the state house about two weeks ago, um, kind of presenting the fact of a, very low complexity funded school, Bartholomew mm -hmm. County is very middle of the pack funded complexity school. And then Fort Wayne was there as a very highly funded complexity school. Mm -hmm. So we actually went and kind of stated our case of where we are as districts and you know what it looks like for each of us. So, you know, part of it for us and you know, part of my job as well is just making sure we're active in those conversations. Yeah. And part of it because if you're gonna be silent, you're not gonna be heard and you're gonna be forgot forgotten yeah. as you go through those. So it's not just a community level involvement it's the state level as well when we go through those and how do you feel do you feel like there is a long-term fix being looked at at least legislatively or do you think it's still not a priority to go down that road how I do think you feel or do not know i would say it is definitely a priority for them it is a hot topic okay. conversation for them right yeah. now um defining what a fix looks like is going to be different depending on who you talk to Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, for me in this, where I sit right now, I don't know that there's a good right or wrong answer to that, mm -hmm. uh, because you're going to offend somebody no matter what you say. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so, if I was running for something in Fort Wayne, I probably wouldn't be saying let's fix it, right? hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'd be saying let's fund it more. Um, yeah. <laughs> so for us, it, again, it's being part of that conversation. Yeah. Um, because the conversation is going to happen. Just, just make sure you, you're in the right spot to have a seat at the table so you can mm -hmm. voice your opinion and, and be part of that process. And that's what we really focus on. Are there, is the thought, I mean, is there a very, really strong belief that um, there is that different of a, of a community that somewhere like Fort Wayne does need that much more money than a Westfield kid? Is, there, is that a, 
strong belief or is it just how it is and it's just working playing its way out oh no that that belief's 100 percent there is it yeah um and yeah. It, it is extremely strong um you know and i would say i think there's general journal applications that are made across the board no matter what side you sit on so on our side we sit on and say hey that that gap's probably too big but i promise if you're on the other side they're saying the gap's not big enough so they would um, ask for more probably. oh absolutely yeah okay um so that's usually where again we get back to okay wh where do we agree on um you know and it, it's those other areas that we can agree that hey we, we all have special ed students like and we all agree that that's underfunded so let, let's fix that problem. You know, let, let's fix some of the other problems we have with funding across the state as well. Is there a, a way for local cities to make up for this without a referendum? Is there a way for them to do that or not? Not on, the, not on the state funded side. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we get to the tax funded side, then that's where the whole TIF conversation comes yeah. in for a lot of people, yeah. um, which is another hot top topic mm -hmm. for a lot of people as we go through that. So. Um, it really stateside, I would say no. Okay. Um, local tax side, you know, possibly. Well, since you brought it up and I wasn't going to, um, tell me what you think of TIFs or short term and long term and just kind of your theory on how you feel about TIFs. Because I'm very torn on them. Yeah. So I would say I think TIFs, there are good TIFs and bad TIFs mm -hmm. um, across the board. If we're talking about First off, I would say from a city perspective, I think TIFs are needed to play the development game. Mm -hmm. um, if we want to sit here and say Westfield is the greatest place ever and people are just going to move here because we're Westfield, we're all lying to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if we look at Carmel or Fishers or Noblesville, they're, they're given abatements. They're given yeah. helps for the bonds. Um, you know, actually, I was at the Chamber's Old Town presentation yesterday. They were talking about the parking garage. Uh -huh. you know, parking garage is never financially feasible for the part of their project. So if you want the parking garage, especially a free parking garage for a community asset, uh -huh. you're going to have to have a TIF to help fund a parking garage. Yeah. Um, so when you get into some of those pieces, like I understand it, I get it. Yeah. Uh, I would argue it's needed to play the game of development um, where I don't always agree with TIF and, and John Rogers and I've had this conversation and um, actually I made my wife watch RDC meeting last night. So if you go to the last RDC meeting, about 30 minutes into it, um, you can hear us have this kind of conversation at RDC of, I don't personally agree with TIFs on residential areas. I feel okay. like there are other ways to accomplish those projects without tipping residential. Um, if we are going to talk about tiffing raw land that's going to become a development of industrial space, then I understand why you're doing it because quite frankly, you're going to have to in order to compete with your in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, in order to compete with those cities around us and actually entice people to come here, you're going to have to have the availability to do some of those things to make it happen. Um, I personally, and this is, I like to joke, this is a Brian opinion. Uh, okay. I believe we can either do these things today or we can wait 20 years. We're still going to probably have to do them, but we're just 20 years down the road and waiting for it to run out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we can get who we want in the door today, and we have the means and the process to do it, then let's get it accomplished. Because you know what, in 20 years, those TIFs are done and we're yeah. sitting here looking around and going, how great is this place? And we're all benefiting from the yeah. tax revenue from it. It's like, let's so, get over it and get on kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can get the right people in the door and, and you have methods in which to do it, I understand it. Um, the other piece, since we're on the topic, because I know it gets asked all the time of, if we didn't have any of the TIFs, then we wouldn't need the referendum. Two things, one, um, again, I like to look at realistic things and there's uh -huh. no magic wand that gets rid of all the TIFs. There's obligations uh -huh. there. Those TIFs aren't going away. Yeah. But for a second, let's imagine we could, if you could, I, it's been a few years since I ran the math, but basically it's, I think it's about four and a half million dollars that the school district would collect if there was zero TIFs, um, okay. and additional funding. So with that, that's roughly half of the referendum. Okay. So when we, when we look at it and have that conversation, could you ever completely get rid of TIFs and get rid of the referendum? No, because you still have that state funded issue we just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, could you lower it? That, that's a fair conversation that we could have. If you, if, but again, you can't do yeah. that. So I don't necessarily understand why we sit here and go down that path of non-existence. So why don't you share, how, do the, how does a TIF, so when um, a developer's coming through and they want to build an office building and the city's or they propose they want to do a TIF with the city. How does that affect the school system? 
Yeah, so the easiest way to think about it is just a raw piece of farmland. And for easy math, let's say that piece of property is worth $10,000 in taxes today. But once they're done building that building, it's worth $3,010,000. Um, so when we look at taxes, that $3 million increase is captured completely by the TIF. And the school district, library, or other units are just taxing on that original value of $10,000, even though there's a $3 million building sitting there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and then that additional tax value is what drives and funds the TIF, allows them to pay their bonds that they've issued on that end. Um, so that's where the gap is. But again, that's where I get back to, it's probably going to happen at some point. So let, let's get that ball rolling because mm -hmm. as we get down the road, if it's, if it's a good project and it's still there 20 years from now, which I would hope we're doing mm -hmm. um, in those type of situations, then, in, you know, once that TIF runs out, we're all benefiting from it. So your viewpoint is really you'd love to have that money up front if it's if it's available, but the patience for the end product for the community overall is worth it to you to miss out on a little bit of of, of money up front. Yeah, for, okay, I mean, the first stage. Yeah. At the end of the day, like I look, you know, as a my own personal perspective, like as a family, the two reasons we moved here are because of the schools and because of what we think Westville will become. Um, like, and it's not saying Wessel's not great today, but yeah, I, I always joke with people, um, you know, like what saddens me sometimes though, like if I want to go out to eat somewhere, like I may go to Park Street, but there's a really uh -huh. good chance to go down to like the Midtown Plaza and hang out there for a little bit. Yeah. And my kids can play outside. I can grab a bite to eat yeah. and we can hang out in one spot. It saddens me that Westfield doesn't have that yet. Yeah. Um, so if it means, but that's all, that's a family attractor. You know, yeah. that's a kid attractor as we build those things. So if, if we have to sacrifice a little bit to make sure we can be that and mm -hmm. that those dollars then stay in our community, that's that's better for everybody yeah. uh, as we go through that. So it's really kind of that, you know, all water raise, rises the ship. So let, let's mm -hmm. focus on making a better overall community and making sure we're all, you know, going for the same goals. Brian, when I moved here, um, my, I, I bought a house here in like 2000 or something I think none of that was the conversation everything was good it was just a country town you know whatever but nobody was talking about any of the schools quite honestly they were getting out of uh like Pike and IPS Zionsville that was their big thing was Zionsville school Zionsville schools Eagle Township and so to feel like and I was and I was young I was you know 28 or something and 29 and didn't have any idea I am kids it didn't relate to me but that conversation, how strong it is, and now that I have kids and the value of it, and now that Westfield's progressed, it's fascinating to me of, of the impact the schools are on a community. It's, I mean, it's probably the majority of why residents are here. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where, when it, what triggered, when it starts flipping uh, from a popular, you know, when does that start happening? But um, how do you feel, uh, when a city starts changing to that, and I don't know if you were paying attention to Westfield best back then, but um, do you think the city does a good job of promoting, and I'm, this isn't like a cut or anything, it just do cities typically do a good job of using their schools to leverage growth and influence? Yeah, you know, I think they do. Um, uh -huh. It's, it's. I forget when we had the conversation with it, there was a couple groups that back the time when Bastion was coming, a few of those other mm -hmm. groups where a lot of the conversation for those employees are uh, talent pipeline. So what yeah. type of kids are coming out of this area that we could employ it in the future, uh -huh. um, from high school level and then the college level, but then also where are my people going to live and where are their kids gonna go to school? And are uh -huh. they going to be able to live in an area that's close to this place and send their kids to a high quality place as well? Uh -huh. um, you know, the, the thing I always look at is we have some very affluent community members in our district that could send their kid, quite frankly, to anywhere they wanted, any private yeah. school in the area, and majority of them send their kids to Westfield. So yeah. I think that okay. that speaks volumes to me yeah. of just the quality of education you can get. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I joke. I, I grew up in small little Beach Grove, and I will never say anything bad about Beach Grove. But I, remember, <laughs> I remember going to school like I just think of like the AP or the you know academic honors or the additional opportunities you had in, in that little school versus a Westfield where. We uh -huh. literally seem to have a club for everything. Uh -huh. you, you can find your niche. You can take awesome. as many advanced placement classes as you want. You, mm -hmm. you can leave with college credits. Those are things that can be harder to do in smaller schools that are definitely benefits of being a, a little bit of a larger district. Yeah. It just I think, speaks to the volumes of the teachers we have, the staff we have, 
the kids we have of wanting to be that level. What is, um, what is on a, so a little bit more on the referendum here. So you need to raise money because, or you got to do a referendum because you run out, run short on your budget, if not eventually. Yep. What, where's the money go? Where, where is something that we would be blown away that really just eats up money that you don't seem to have any control of, over? Yeah, so we spend our referendum pretty much solely on benefits of our teachers and then also um, utilities and maintenance or mainly utilities on that piece. Um, I think the number one thing for people that surprises them is when we just talk about like our, our monthly electric bill. You know, mm -hmm. our monthly electric bill, bill can be two, three hundred thousand dollars. Um, and I think that that shocks people because you uh -huh. think of your house electric bill of maybe being two, three hundred dollars. Yeah. Two or three hundred thousand. Uh -huh. And I think, you know, oftentimes it's hard to remember that two of our classrooms can pretty well equate to a home. Yeah. Um, when you start looking at it. So then you think of how many classrooms we have in the district, how many buildings we have in the district, how just, you know, big of a district we are at this point. Um, utilities are a huge expense for us and those costs yeah. don't go away if we lose a referendum. Um, you know, we, we have, we issue almost 1,200 to 1,300 W-2s at the end of the year for employees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we are generally one of the largest, if not the largest employers in the area. And okay. I think a lot of times that can get missed as well. Um, mm -hmm. you look at the school functions, but you sometimes forget we are a $150 million business in Westfield. Mm -hmm. We just happen to be educating kids. Um, so with that, we have the utilities of a $150 million business with multiple locations. Mm -hmm. We have the employees to run those sites as well. Um, you know, last year we, we drove over 800,000 miles on school buses and we fed over a million meals. Yeah. Um, so That's all of those happens. things, you know, it, it's a small city during the day. Um, mm -hmm. And all those things take funding and take a lot of funding um, to get it done and get it done appropriately and at the level that everybody expects. So, so back to the referendum. So yeah, our, our main focus is really kind of reducing that class size and making sure we have academic programs for our kids that meet the expectations. Mm -hmm. um, as we looked at, we're fund accounting. So basically, I always say, if you think about the pockets on your pants, you got two in the front, two in the back. Um, your front pockets, your front left pockets, food, your front right pockets, your house, your back left is car, and your back you know, right is entertainment. If I have extra money in one side and I'm short of my car payment, tough luck. Like I yeah. can't move that money around that easy. Um, so the, the referendum gives us the ability to divert some dollars that would otherwise be in our education fund, okay. which are really where our teachers and staff get paid from. Um, and by doing that, we are able to hire more staff, keep class sizes down, mm -hmm. uh, give those extra academic opportunities to our students and you know, advance and retain programming and just quite frankly, pay our staff appropriately so they're not gonna go somewhere else and we can keep our highly qualified staff. Do you feel, and I, I don't want you to get in trouble for this, but do you feel like we're paid pretty good in Westfield, the teachers comparatively to other school systems? I don't know, I don't know how to relate that. Yeah, so I, I would, I mean, we're not the top. So yeah. I will say that we're also not the bottom. Uh -huh. uh, we work hard with our teachers association to make sure that we are competitive. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, and also it, it's not just a conversation. So our base first year teacher salary is $45,000. Mm -hmm. um, but if they choose to take our benefits, our benefit package can, it can be very, very beneficial to individuals as well. Mm -hmm. um, so as they go through that, it's really what's that net number and how are we competitive with that as we move through. Yeah. So, um, what, you know, and not necessarily focus on teachers, but just all of our other staffing as a whole that we really kind of try to focus on is uh -huh. we may not be the best paying, but we promise we're not the worst paying. And our goal is to make sure that you are appropriately paid and that if you went you wanted to move somewhere else, you're moving more so because it works better for your family or uh -huh. because of something else and not because we're paying you so grossly under that you have to go somewhere else. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to be that. We want to make sure that we, you know, if, if you want to have highly qualified people working with our kids every day and, and doing the job they should, then we need to pay them appropriately as well. Yeah. And they get to work with you. Do you, do you use that? No, no, actually I avoid that. Most people, most people don't want that. That's when they move away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, Okay, so um, one other thing I want to talk about is the school board, because there's a big school board election, or uh, I don't know how many positions are flipping or changing, or there's competition, but it's very competitive right now, and it's always a very heated debate. Um, you run a real tight school board meeting, I've been to them, and it's bang, 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 
and your school board seems the ones that are there seems to be prepared and they seem to have done their homework. And so I like that. I appreciate that. Um, but what make to you, what makes a good school board? Um, what are some things that you see that are a good quality school board? Yeah. Um, so you're correct. We have three of our five positions are up this year. So two mm -hmm. of our, um, we, we have four districts in an at-large. The two of the districts in at-large seats are open for competition. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned it, you, you've been to some of our school board meetings um, mm -hmm. and it does probably look like a tight ship. And sometimes mm -hmm. I see sometimes people be like, there's no conversation. I think people <laughs> miss how much conversations on the back yeah. end. Um, yep. It's just like when you go to a city council meeting, sometimes it can seem like there's not that much conversation and uh -huh. there's a, a ton of conversation, you know, that happens on the back end. Yeah. Um, before you get there. So there's a lot of planning, a lot of meetings. We have a, you know, one in particular that I'm involved in is we have a finance committee meeting uh, monthly with, um, in this case, it's Bill Anderson, Rebecca Obel, and myself are the yeah. finance committee. So we'll meet and just have a discussion of where are the finances now, where are projects now, what, what's coming up, um, what are we thinking about doing? Because at the end mm -hmm. of the day, if those two are going to be like, yeah, I don't know, then, then we'll go ahead and divert our attention before we ever get there. Okay. Uh, by the time something's coming to the school board for approval, there could be months, weeks, you know, sometimes even more than, you know, a year of planning mm -hmm. conversations to build up to that point to get to the school board meeting. Um, so if we know something's not going to work out from the beginning, then let, let's refocus our energy somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, school board candidate wise, um, you know, I personally always appreciate it when I've seen that person involved in other items before. Mm -hmm. um, that way, I feel like they know what they're getting into or, you know, have been a part of the conversations. Um, a lot of times we have great candidates that have been or have family that are involved and just, you know, have been part of the process. And, and I always mm -hmm. appreciate that. Um, I'm a big stickler of, I, I think before you run for something, you should have a good idea of what it is you're running for. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's always appreciated when we go through those items. Do you think uh, people, do you think term limits or is there a term limit on a school board? There's not. not. Yeah. Do you think people kind of, do you, do you wish it would, and maybe this is the way to state it, do you wish school boards would change over more often or do you think they work better when people have some uh, tenure? I love how you're asking some of these questions, Kurt. Um, I'm trying to be. That's, so, we can do another podcast. Brian's opinions. So what I would, I think there is value in term limits at times. However, uh -huh. what I would look at is, again, a lot of what we are doing is years sometimes in the making, especially when we talk about the growth of the district. Um, you know, some of the conversations, like let's take the transportation building, for example, because it's already working. That has been on the plate, kind of in the plans for three plus years. Mm -hmm. And it's been timed out as in, you know, this is the year it's gonna happen. Here's what we're looking at as we get here. Do we need to buy excess land around it to make it work? Um, are we comfortable with our site? Do we need to move the site completely to somewhere else? Um, so the one thing I do appreciate of not having a term limit and having some experienced board members is when we are on that point, we can sit down at a table and they've been a part of that process yeah. and a process that could go over more than one term even to know where we are today and have that vision for the future of where we're going. What always concerns me, whether we're talking school board, council, mayor, any of those type positions is those visions, A, they, they take a long time to get a good consensus vision of this is where we want to go. Uh -huh. You know, that, that alone takes time. And then the idea to think that you're going to flip a switch and be to that vision overnight of building it, it may be five, 10 years before you're truly accomplishing that vision that you had. And every little decision you've made along the line leads to that end goal. So my biggest fear as we look at some of those things and have some of those conversations in the community is just, it's great if you get the right people in that can keep that consensus moving. My mm -hmm. concern is if not, you're gonna constantly be moving that target. And what we're gonna see over the path of eight years or so is that we've gone up and down to a different target and we've ended up nowhere. Or we've yeah. ended up with crazy mismatched ideologies that didn't get yeah. us to where we really wanted to be. And, and we're all standing here saying, why is that on the corner? And this is on the other, those don't even match. Yeah. Um, so it, it's trying to accomplish all of those pieces. and. Yeah. I will say in the past, we, we've gone through some board changes. Um, um, you know, Mike Steele and, and Jimmy Cox are newer to the board. And there's, I like to say there's like an education period of bringing new board members on of just catching up all those conversations you've had to lead where you are, allowing them to give your input of where, what they think about where you're headed. 
but you know, it takes time. It, it can derail a little bit of as you're going, but if you get good people who are there for the right reasons, then you can accomplish anything you need to accomplish. And just to say it doesn't add time, I think would be disingenuous though. You know, if you want, is there a board member you'd like to complain about openly right now, or do you want to leave that for the, <laughs> that's what I'm joking. Um, I don't know of anybody you want to complain about. They all seem like nice people. So, um, all right. So one last thing, and thank you for your time on this, but one thing I'd like you to, if there's something, a way the community can be more involved in the school system or ways people in the community can help and help promote good things that are going on. But where, where do you say people can jump in at? Honestly, anywhere. Um, so we have a Westfield Education Foundation that's headed up by Ashley Knott. You know, reach, we are always looking for good active board members mm -hmm. or even advisory committee members if you don't want to commit the full time to a board. Um, you know, as we grow as a district, you know, there's the Shamrock Academy that's open and I know that's a time commitment, but if it works for you, it's a great way to learn about the school. Um, the one last thing I would just kind of say as a whole is reach out and have the conversation, whether it's with a board member, with myself, Dr. Kaiser, Dr. Atha, you know, Mr. Baldwin, as we go through those things, we are more than happy to have a conversation. Um, I don't yeah. think any of us are jumping on Facebook to have that conversation. That's, that's not a healthy community yeah. dialogue platform. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean we don't watch it, but read some yeah. of the comments. It's fun to but, watch, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But we're not, we're, I'm not jumping on there to debate. Um, yeah. That's not where we're going to have a healthy debate. That's not where healthy debates happen. Um, it doesn't mean we're scared of opposing views or afraid to have those conversations. Um, we just want to have them in a setting where we can truly have a conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think actually the first time you and I met was mm -hmm. a comment that you had posted and you were willing to come in to meet. And you know, I yeah. feel like we built a pretty good relationship yeah. off of that. Um, that's what my, my intro is about how I, I fired off an email to my uh, commit, whoever my school board person, and uh, and it made it to the top. And it, you know, just one of my typical emails to to say something. And you guys invited me in, and yeah. you didn't argue with me. You didn't say I'm right or wrong. You just said your case, and we're buddies at the end of it. And you know, nobody was there's yeah. no hurt feelings. And I I just I really appreciated that because quite honestly, many times when um, I'm very vocal and I'll say to somebody what I think I could fix. And many times it gets, um, it gets met with argument and how I'm wrong. I'm just wrong and yeah. I don't understand and I'm not the smartest guy around. And so the fact that you guys are willing to talk on a normal level with people, um, I think that that says a lot about you guys and how hard you guys are working for a good cause. So um, I don't know. There'll be times though, Brian, I'll oh, make I you mad. <laughs> Hey, you know what? My wife and I don't agree every day and she gets, we get mad. So like, oh, but she's right. <laughs> she probably is right. And she'll probably listen to this later. So I should definitely say she's right. Um, but I, I mean, truthfully, like I, I don't think anybody should ever agree hundred percent as you work through yeah. things. Um, so as you go on those items, like we want to have those conversations. We want to be a part of those conversations. Mm -hmm. We're not saying we have to agree. Um, yeah. You know, I know you and I don't agree all the time on certain yep. things, but I know we can talk about it though too. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate. Well, well, thanks for doing this podcast. I hope it helps give some clarity for some people. And I hope it also gives, puts a face with you maybe for people that uh, don't know who you are and hopefully they'll reach out if they have any questions or if they have a problem. So, so uh, thank you very much for doing that. We appreciate your hard work for, the, for our kids. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day.